talk us through those 80 minutes. No, we prepared to win. We knew that we were here to make history. The whole week, that's what we told ourselves. And you know what? I'm so proud of the boys. Absolutely humbled. And the guys came out. They played with enormous testicles. And we absolutely did it. Fantastic effort. I'm such a happy captain. G'day, good evening, good morning, wherever you are. Welcome to the Drops Kickoff for another week. My name is Nick Wasiliev, and uh, I'm especially excited today. We're returning to our traditional interview format for this show before uh, before the Gagger podcast disappeared. Um, and joining me today is a very, very special guest. Uh, in the midst of all of the chaos that was the Bledisloe Cup um, and uh, uh, that that happened this year, we had a, a certain little documentary that dropped uh, on Binge, which was by the one and only Matt Durant, who wrote, who uh, called Gold Digger, the search for Australian rugby. Um, and this documentary is is something special. And I'm here with Matt to talk about it, some of the learnings he ha- he found from it, and everything else in between. Matt, welcome, mate. Mate, thanks, Nick. Um, great to be here and, and great to be here on a Gagger uh, podcast. I've been listening to you guys, all of you guys. I know there's a, a few variations for quite some time so i uh i thought it was very special to be finally on the uh on the uh the the, the channel appreciate it very much lee and and right back at you as well i've been watching raging boar and gold digger for the for a long time and it was just uh interesting to see particularly gaga make an appearance in the uh in the in the show because i remember us having that conversation of can you get me onto matt onto yeah. mr rowley uh trying to get him in uh after the jake quigley podcast um First of all, how you been? I know you're you're in London right now. You're, that's where you're living and and doing. Have you been enjoying and catching up on some of the rugby? Oh, look, I I have been. I mean, I watch just about every Australian game I can, even the Super Rugby, which you know is 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 actually great when you consider how hard it is to follow rugby over here. You often have to have um, two or three different subscriptions to two or three <laughs> different stations, whereas in Australia, everything's on stand, so um, that's noticeably far and away one of the most the best things about keeping up with Australian rugby. I'm going to try and get some Premier League games. Actually, I I, I haven't done that much um, other than internationals, and that's one thing I've been trying to do for the last year. Actually, it's just time, and uh, but you know the season start just started over here, so there's a lot of rugby ahead. Which is super exciting. Did you get the chance to at, at the time we're recording? We just we just had the Australia A game. Uh, mm. who they beat Japan, I think, 34-22 on the weekend. Did you have the chance to to check it out? I No, I did the old, uh, good old stand in there, well, their, their mini mini clips. So Isn't it the great? Old, the mini highlight. <laughs> I yeah, love the I, mini match. <laughs> I, I had a, I think it was one of those weekends where I was like, you know, I need to get a bunch of things done. I actually played rugby as well. I played a, for a local club here. So, you know, I had Saturday to go out. And it was an early game for some reason, so I had to leave the house early and get a bunch of things done. So no, I only when I came back to wanting to watch it, I just thought oh, I'll just watch the mini. Um, and look, you know, what can you take away from that? But I'm just glad Australia A is up and running again. I think it's such a, I think it is and will be such a valuable um, uh, part of the the program for the coming years. It definitely did highlight to to me or maybe some other folks, particularly after just the results of those, of that blood is low that look, yeah, we do have problems, but there is some, there's some good players that are coming through, through the ranks. And it was a, but it was just a, it was a good pick me up on, on a personal level. Um, yeah. Because you, you really felt after those blood is low, blood is low. We were right back at square one. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think like someone made the point, um, that Australia A, it's it's kind of low stakes rugby to watch as well as a fan because you know if they if they lose you go oh well it's not the best you know it's it's a it's a it's a hodgepodge of players come together and if they win and play really well you get oh well that's really exciting and you know I don't know kind of whether they'll ever I'd love to see an Australia A uh, New Zealand Maori and you know maybe one or two other sort of teams come together and play a regular series every year they um, used to I recall. I think they did, and they, there were some good matches in there. Uh, yeah, looking back over over the years, um, but yeah, it's it was it was nice to see that. Um, also, before we we dive into the doco, obviously we've got mm. the women's World Cup, yeah. the women's rugby World yeah. Cup, quick uh, kicking off this weekend. Uh, predictions: What are your two cents on it? Are, are they, uh, 
Who are you? I, who are you picking I, to I win? Mean, I mean, it's hard not to back the Red Roses just by sheer fact that we're. Yeah, you know, I'm going to watch all the games, or even though they're going to be on at a fairly tough hour over here, I'm going to watch as much as I can, and I, because I'm really interested in seeing how the Wallaroos can stack up. We're about to see basically amateurs versus professionals, and I, and, and I, I can. I'm a little concerned that I've had a couple of people reach out. One was my sister. Um, sent me an article that was reviewing the World Cup. She said that they don't even mention Australia. Well, what's wrong? And I said, well, you know, we yeah, we, you know, haven't quite sort of performed the last couple of years. But I said, you know, people are not going to probably realise how developed the game is now in you know, England and, yeah. and France, and and probably now, well, in the fullness of time, Wales, or you know, the rest of the Celtic nations, and Australia, we just haven't quite sort of. And, and I, you know, I've made some points in the past, and I, I think it's a real. Well, I think it's a real shame, but the silver lining is no one else has developed and far ahead yet. So it's not too late for Australian rugby to get its, you know, finger out of its ass, really, quite frankly, and and find a way to make the Wallaroos and everything around that, um, you know, more professional. And, you know, you do that and all of, all of a sudden I think you'll see the results because the women that play are the most, some of the most passionate people I've come across. And you know, I spoke with Grace Hamilton, she was captain at the time. I've spoken with um, Sarah Nakama um, since, and and you just you get a sense of them from them that they're still they're still happy to be there, and they're just relishing every moment. Whereas I think with the men, and maybe this is a bit unfair, but you sense with the men that they're, they're so professional now and have been for many years. It's it's just a job, you know. It is passionate, and there is you know pride on the line. But at the end of the day, they sort of go into it looking as a job, whereas the women are still kind of riding on that old amateur ethos of, you know, work hard during the day and go to training at night and you do it for love. So, and I hope that comes out and I hope that shows in the way they play. And mm. who knows? You never know how far they could go. But I think Red Roses are probably going to do it. But let's see. I mean, the 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 Black Ferns at home, um, you know, you've got to think they're, they're sort of going throwing everything at it to try and uh, take the silverware. I'm expecting it will be uh, an NZ England final. Um, I completely agree. I reckon, I reckon that the Red Roses are probably the best team on the planet. Period. Better than any men's team. Better than any women's team. Uh, um, in all honesty, just how they've been playing. That Six Nations early this year was just outstanding. Yeah. You could tell that that team, the professional era, has well and truly arrived, and uh, they yeah. looked unbelievable. Let's talk this doco, um, sure. because. I love the origins of it just started with you walking with your dad um, just <laughs> uh, and with your dog as well. Uh, just where the, obviously there's a lot of fans out there. We always talk about this problem. It's you, you only need to go onto, you know, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram to, to see that the, the debate around what's going on with the, with the Wallabies is, is, a, is such a regular occurrence what compelled yeah. you to suddenly turn it? You know what? I need to actually make this a doco. I need to actually go out there and create something the, with this. The, the, the seed of it started in around 2018, start of 2018. Um, I was overseas. So I've been living overseas since about, since 2015. I moved to England literally a month before the World Cup, which was great because it was such a great time to be in England and be an Australian in England at that time. <laughs> Um, I think the last, that was the last sort of <laughs> vestiges of, of, of when we could sort of hold it over them. And, um, you know, and, and I remember, you know, over the years, look, I must say, I go back even further. I remember in 2011 when we lost to Samoa at the start of the year, um, you know, even the sort of the world cup later that year, I remember just thinking, God, you know, we're not, we're just, something's not right. We're not quite kicking into gear. Okay. We'll get a new coach or maybe we just need a couple of good players. And, you know, then you'd move on and, couple of seasons would go and then all of a sudden you're like, shit, we haven't won the Bledisloe in like a decade. How did that, mm. where did that time go? And then sort of another year goes past and another year. And so I think for me, something started to build in 2018 when I was overseas and I, um, I was, I couldn't get, um, I couldn't get footage of the game. So I was list, I was, I was reading a, um, a match by match, a line by line report of the, the third game against Ireland when we lost and we lost the series to Ireland. And it was mm. like, that was just, devastating and yeah even and it was even worse that i couldn't watch it it was like sort of reading this sort of tragic story unfold one you know line by line so i ended up, i was in my hotel room and grabbed a beer and i was just like i wonder what you know 
what is wrong? There's got to be something. It's been almost two decades now and we haven't been able to sort of get our shit together. And, you know, for me, it was just curiosity. It started to move on from pain and being angry to there has to be some reason. There has to be a reason why one country can go from being the best in the world, beating everyone, to now just moving behind the pack. And so this sort of, it became a bit of a fixation and I guess sort of it builded for another year. And then after the Rugby World Cup in Japan, I think I just decided that's it, I'm I'm going to do something. And and I'd sort of been gearing towards either doing a short film, like a short piece and, you know, maybe a little, and then it, it did just build very quickly because, you know, I reached out to more people, more people were interested in talking, spoke to my partner on this project. He was keen and we started shooting lots of stuff and, you know, yeah, all of a sudden, what was going to be maybe a 30-minute little piece to, or an hour, then I thought, well, we could probably do a feature in this if I can if I can keep the story going. Mm. So that's and sort of the long, long story of how it how it all kind of unfolded. It Well, it's, it's, it is such an interesting doco. I love how, how it is turned, it turned out the way that it has because it does feel like a, you know, if we just follow your story, we follow you as the fan, but also as the interested punter who just... Yeah. The, really is learning all of this information for yourself you go traveling around you go to you go back to to perth you go to you t- you you know you cover the story of the western force you go to canberra you, you go to clubland um mm. and then eventually and and for, for full disclosure for everyone listening if you haven't watched the doco full disclosure go watch the doco everything he cover you cover a lot of ground but it, it culminates in this section where you basically sit down with a whole bunch of folks and you put together this, you've put together this video, mm. this this video that you kind of that examines on a couple of the findings that you've found from, you know, from talking to all of these folks. Yeah. First of all, I was just like, wow, this just, I could see that there was very careful precision around what you'd picked and what you'd chosen to focus on. Um, and I want to also talk about with this particular point, talk about the idea of cohesion. And yep. especially the work of of Gainline Analytics and Benny Darwin. Um, what kind of really stood out to you when you were putting that small little film together that you were showing to to everyone? Um, particularly Benny's work, because you mentioned like Benny's for you is the real hero of this of this kind of story and the work that he's starting yeah. to do. Um, oh look, I, and I guess it was a it did it did build over a number of months right so you know the first thing i remember calling him on the phone and saying you know i sent him an email he sent him his number like within five minutes so i've called him and you know this was before it even rolling and i said look you know i'm trying to make a docker i've been you know doing a lot of research and seeing your stuff love to talk to you as a player and man he just even in that 20 minute conversation he he gave me enough to realize wow there's something here like this is not something I've heard before, and there's a real perspective here that's different. And then when I met him, and then when I went in and in, in, interviewed him, and then had obviously follow up interviews by Zoom, and just to really just to clarify it, because anyone that's listened to Ben and knows about the work knows that it's a it's a huge amount of information, and it's it's an area that is quite complex. And and he and his business partner Simon, they do have to hold back publicly because at the end of the day, they've built a business that's based on you know, selling corporate knowledge about an industry and about companies. So they can't be completely, which I know frustrates some people, but they were very, I mean, he was very generous enough showing me some of his inner workings. And, you know, I said, look, we won't show this, but we can perhaps show this to explain that. So, you know, the the video was in the culmination of all that. So it did take a number of months, but I do remember, like you see me in the video as he's talking on the whiteboard. And I think every time I spoke to him, a new light bulb would go off. It was mm. sort of like a series of light bulbs, not just the one. And, um, you know, it just, everything just started to kind of make sense. And then when you see the video where other people, John Eels and other people are talking about, and this is prior to me speaking with Ben, I'd spoken to them. They're then saying things that just cons- are consistent with what he's putting forward. And um, it all just started to kind of, gel together and you know i think the, the biggest thing i do have to say is I, I don't think cohesion and the wallabies being the most cohesive thing is going to fix australian rugby like there are so many other parts that need you know to be addressed like so many other parts but it is a pretty major factor in determining 
will the game get coverage? Will you get all the, you know, fair weathers back, back rolling again to, to watch, you know, will the success somewhat flow onto our um, super rugby teams? And, you know, it, it's a, unfortunately it's a key measure that we're sort of stuck with, with the way um, professional rugby, we should say is structured in Australia. So, um, but the video, you know, we put out there, I, you know, I'm, I stand by it and, you know, I've, I've had numerous people who just launched a and a this week, numerous people ask me questions and I'm going to try and address them in a podcast episode. And, and that's, I guess that's sort of what the overall purpose has been is just to, to, to get a conversation started and keep it, keep it running. Um, mm. I didn't expect to solve all the problems in 90 minutes. Um, it's, it's, there's, and there's so many things that got kind of left behind, but hopefully it sort of put a few of these things back on the, the agenda to be discussed. It, yeah. And I, and I, and I felt like as well with that doco, you didn't just talk about one. It was really the fact that we got to the place where we got was not as a result of one thing, but multiple things just yeah. really it's, it's created this sort of perfect storm of, you know, we expanded to more teams and we, and we uh, had all of these other challenges around, you know, you, you're in the busiest sporting market in the world. And then you have, uh, approaches and tactics and decisions that were made that basically we were paying for years later down the track. And it's all culminated into this situation where we've, we just feel like we're wheels, like our, our wheels are essentially spinning uh, mm. in terms of a, of a, of a union. Um, I do want to ask a little bit more about Benny Darwin's work if I can, because at the end of the docker, you mentioned yeah. he's now officially working with some super rugby sides, which is just yep. fantastic news. And I think, a big thing that I've started to notice with the super rugby teams. And I know that in, in, in New Zealand, they, they are all on, even though they, they compete uh, all separately, they're all on the same page off the field. Um, and yeah. often you've felt within Australian rugby, like the teams all operates as separate entities to each other, similar to all the state unions. Do you think that is starting to change? Um, yeah, I think, I think like you're seeing some of them do, I mean, the fact that they're playing extra games in the next month or two, I think the force are going to play a couple of games. You know, everyone, a couple of them have announced tours. That's not a surprise. That is definitely, I think they've been, and and maybe for some time, these unions or these teams have recognized they need more rugby, but I think now they're becoming more and more um, sort of finely tuned to the fact that, you know, they need to build up, their their game time within squads and, and not just the, the 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 a players but the b players the guys the new guys coming in to an environment that's completely foreign but they need to make that less foreign and i think if uh if if his work keeps flowing on through those teams i think it's great i, I think the problem though we still have is that rugby australia uh are operating somewhat still independently of the unions. And I know you're saying this in, in New Zealand, they have this sort of centralization. I don't necessarily think centralization is always going to work. And I think one thing that's important that has been important historically with Australian rugby is some of the times those points of difference do help. Like sometimes it's good that the Brumbies came from a very different environment and brought a new brand of rugby to Australia when they did. And Queensland have their style. And New South Wales have their style, and and who knows, maybe the the rebels will start to get their act together and and develop uh, a, a particular way of playing, as as will the force. And you know, there is something good about having that sort of variety of styles, rather than just putting all your eggs in one basket and playing the same way. And I think you know, people are criticising the Kiwis for that um, at the moment because you know, other teams are, are picking apart how they play and sometimes playing them at their own style. Hmm. It, it It is a good point that you mentioned, because I've been, you know, with, with as fans, we always talk about, well, what are the solutions here and what are the solutions there? And it's interesting. I find it interesting that part of me had kind of thought about, you know, centralization for years, that it would just make sense to have folks under the same roof hmm. talking the same plan. And it's, but I find it interesting that you're like, that doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily going to solve it, um, as a as an as kind of an idea. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you were to look at like what could you do now to Australia, I mean, I, I think Rugby Australia do need some 
they need some control and and I suppose they can I mean they can do that because they're the ones that at, at the end of the day cut the checks for most of the people when it comes to their funding but you know obviously there's a there's a you know there's a federated system that um devolves them of certain power um but what could they do straight away well I think definitely they need to look at how do we streamline our wallabies so that they're all coming through really good systems and and playing together and like when you've got a situation, I know we've been hit by injuries this year. So I think this year is a sort of, it's almost a tough one to, 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 to judge them by. But when you've got young guys coming through who've got very little serious rugby under their belt and they're having to play super rugby, I don't think that's like, I actually think it's, it gets to a point where it's almost a, um, you've almost got, you're almost negligent if you're bringing yeah. guys through. And I know we have this old world, feel at times that club rugby is still hard and good and preparing guys. It just, I don't think it is anymore. The gap's I too big. Kinda, the gap's too yeah. big now. In the past, I think back in the nineties and, and even maybe even into the early two thousands, um, mm. the gap I'd say, because professional, professional rugby was still kind of coming into its own, that the, the, yeah. the, the, the standard between say shoot shield and super rugby was mm. just a small step up and many players. And it's probably a reason why the Wallabies did so well, because they had, uh, you know, we had such strong club systems in Queensland and in New South yeah. Wales, which is why, again, you'd see those Wallabies teams do so well. And they were predominantly comprised of players from Queensland and New South Wales. It, and it, they were playing two games. That, I mean, they were, they were playing international rugby on Saturday and then they go and play, what was it the other way around? They play, you know, club rugby one day and then, international rugby the other and so you know i mean i i chatted to um uh i chatted to campo he, he didn't appear in the doco that was quite funny actually but um he, he then wanted to appear later <laughs> and i said to him i've already <laughs> shot it mate I, you know you didn't want to do it at the time and now you want to do it but anyway it's going to be the most camp i'm sorry that's like going to be the most camp thing i've ever heard <laughs> he, he he was i think he was hesitant when i reached out to him because i think he was trying to get uh he was obviously like a lot of people and there's a number of people that didn't want to appear because they've got either media commitments and um that changed after COVID, obviously and then later on but by that time we'd sort of hung up the the camera but but no he i was just you know discussing some of this stuff with him and he you know he just said you know man we played every week together him all of the not not just the Randwick guys all the dudes that you know he played with him you know Far Jones and everyone from New South Wales you know by the time that team got to England in 91 they were so familiar with each other uh, they were like brothers and um you know you kind of you can see it the way they played and the way they all still are to this day hmm. um you know it's just a very unique uh, series of circumstances sometimes that that took place uh, that and, and you know the, for me the Brumbies are still a fascinating I'd love to do a much deeper dive on uh, ACT rugby and the Kookaburras into the Brumbies because you know I've, I've done a couple of podcast interviews but I, I just find that fascinating that something so natural could have organically evolved and become so successful uh, and and I think as Ben said <laughs> Unfortunately, the Brumbies or the Kookaburras and the Brumbies are both the best and worst thing that happened to Australian rugby. Um, <laughs> because unfortunately, the administrators figured that, oh, we did it once in Canberra, we can do it again in Perth and Melbourne. And, and, and obviously, that, you know, hasn't happened. Yeah. Yeah. I want to push you a little bit more about that kind of cohesion angle, if I can, mm. and also yeah, yeah, particularly yeah. about game time, because it's, I mean, everyone in, everyone who, who, you know, listens to our pod or, or know from how long I've been talking about rugby for ages, know that I just have an obsession with the NRC and that bridging, yeah. bridging that gap and just the fact that it gave us more game time and everything like that. Does that actually seem like a solution now more or does it, or is it a case of first of all, being, you know, reaching for something that is currently outside of our grasp? Um, or is it a case that that our teams just do what they're starting to do now, which is actually go on tours and, you know, have that, uh, you know, kind of stay together as a unit to get that game time that they need to be at a level to be competitive with the likes of overseas talent? Yeah. I I Look, I, my personal opinion is it's non-negotiable that we have a third tier and, you know, Tearing away another Super Rugby team is painful, as we saw, as we know. So if that's not an option, 
then we need to figure out how do we make five Australian Super Rugby teams successful, or, or not even not successful, consistent. Mm. How do we try and get five teams ending up in the top half of the ladder consistently? And to do that, you absolutely need to build them from within. And and you know some of them are good. You know the Brumbies have got a great system. Um, the Queen, the Reds have sort of shown that they they for years that you know they're very good at identifying their talent and putting them through their pathway. You know, New South Wales have the talent. They just either lose it or they they struggle to kind of get to that next step. And, you know, I think the other, you know, the the, the Rebels and the Force, you know, again, it, it, we've proven that you can do it with teams like the Brumbies, but then you need to go back and look at what what is required. And, you know, in, in and around all of that, what is for me non-negotiable is you need a season of rugby that's probably somewhere between 10 to 15 games for blokes who are not regular starters for one of the five Super Rugby teams, but they're too good for clubland. They can't go back to clubland because they're they're just too good. If they're semi-professional, professional, um, it's not hard enough rugby for them. And you know we saw that last year with a couple of guys going over to NPC and playing. I think it's probably happening this year. You know, so they 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 are crying out for development. And if we don't develop them, they'll just go overseas and play French Second Division or you know for an English or Mm. Irish club and that's not that's not good either in my opinion because we're then losing that talent we're losing the benefit of that talent getting developed in our system where yes they could come back a better player but for three or four years they're going to come back and they're going to sort of be playing with strangers again yeah that's Um, yeah yeah because because it's one of the things that I have like I've noticed that seeing players going over to NPC to get the game time that they want or mm. you know going on lease to a Japanese club to get the game time that they want and I go well that's great and it's reflected in the fact that these guys are fantastic athletes but does it fix the fact that you're actually playing mm. with the same bloke on your inside and on your outside every day of the yeah. week it doesn't um even though it may turn you into a better player um and it's good that they're getting it's better than absolutely nothing at all um it, it's and, interesting and the brumby the brumby sorry to cut you off the brumbies were back in the 90s probably the only country or only team in the world that had this what they would what Ben would call a singular line system where they had the brumbies the kookaburras as a reserve grade side playing every week so you know, very few, no other teams in the world. Then, obviously, the NPC teams, once they sort of got realigned, you then had the Crusaders have Canterbury. Mm-hmm. Now, I think they have Tasman. But most of the other teams have two or three feeder teams. They only had the one. And that was, and, you know, that's, if anyone remembers club rugby in the, you know, in Sydney and Brisbane in the turn of the century, I think the, the Kookaburras won three on the trot in Queensland rugby. Yep. Yeah, they got they they basically got kicked out. They, they got good. they got kicked out of the shoot shield for being too good. They got kicked out of the Queensland yeah. grade for being too good. And then, <laughs> um, and, and, and what it was own. was you you had an interesting situation where you had a team that was too good for all these local comps, and but they were super important to keeping the Brumbies solid because they're working with a smaller player base. Mm. That to me was a point, and you know they did the right thing by starting the ARC. Problem is, we should have just stuck with it then. And I genuinely believe if 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 we hadn't if the force had delayed their if the fourth franchise had been delayed by like five years, so say twenty eleven, and for five years we just committed to the ARC, I genuinely think things would be be different because that fourth franchise would have had five years of development through either as the Perth Gold or the Melbourne mm. Axemen or whatever the Rising, I think they were called the ARC. Oh, the Axe Men. I always love that. The Melbourne Axe Men, such a great. They should change um, it. They should. They should change it back. There were some, some, some yeah. good names in that. There were some good names in the in the old teams, <laughs> and I was like, you know what? You should just keep it as it was. It was good. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, they had, they had, they they did the right thing, but they didn't kind of stick to it. And um, you know, but mate, hundred percent now, as a matter of urgency, they need to get something back up and running. Be it either a, a national club competition or an NRC or maybe a merger of the two, if, if mm. that's possible. Um, because, you know, who does anyone watch um, Sheffield Shield cricket anymore? I, I don't. And I don't know if many people I know do. But, man, that is critical to developing our best cricketers. And I think it has to be looked at in that vein, not as a commercial enterprise, 
but something that will help the commercial enterprises being the super rugby clubs and by you know extension the wallabies it's it, steve too actually i think when he was chairman of the nzru i think was asked a question once about the financial validity of the npc and mm. said you know because they put a lot of money into keeping that cop running it's a professional comp and it doesn't exactly attract the financial or corporate sponsorship and support that uh you know, the likes of your super rugby teams that play internationally mm. do. And he asked, and they asked, is it worth it? And he said, absolutely, because you recoup the the benefits further down the track with strong yeah. performing super rugby sides and a strong performing all black side. It's uh, like, it's, it's the more you've been mentioning, it, the more I'm just like, yeah, this is, it seems just like an absolute mm. no brainer. I could honestly the, talk the, about the problem. Subject, the problem but... is, the, the problem is they just don't have enough money at the moment. Now they're in a position now, unfortunately, Maybe that changes with um, the World Cup looming ahead, um, mm. you know, private equity swimming around. But again, to convince private equity or to use the private equity money to invest in something that's probably not going to give you a uh, a cash return within the next financial year is always going to be a hard sell. But I just hope they find a way to do it because it, we we desperately need it. And I know, yeah. I know it's a matter. I know it's a matter close to your heart. So, <laughs> look, it's look. I, I know I've I've had every every subject under the sun dela- uh, given to me on it. So it's, but the more it's just more of a case of watching it. Both the the fan in me and the the rugby analysis guy in me just seems that you know sees it and goes, this is something that needs to happen. Yeah. Um, but you know. That's what it is. It is what it curry, is. But... Cur- curry, curry Cup in South Africa is another place where you could look at how how the system has worked as well mm. um, and continues to keep them sort of fairly competitive. Yeah, absolutely. And, but, and on the subject of, you know, talking about, uh, you know, having money and, and talking with the governing body, mm. uh, obviously this is a, a mild spoiler for everyone, but you actually mm. end up sitting down with the head honch. With uh, with yeah. Hamish McLagan at the end of the, at the end of the uh, of the pot of the of the doco, and you yeah. show him this all of this information and everything that you've gathered. First of all, just how the hell you managed to do that? Just wow. Okay, because uh, having a conversation with him or or Andy or someone like Andy Marinos just makes me go bloody hell. I'm dealing. <laughs> if, if if I was if I was in your boots, I would have been like shit. Holy shit! But uh, what was that like? kind of presenting yeah. all of this work and information to him, to someone who, you know, actually either from a rugby perspective or a business perspective actually knows what he's talking about. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a, it was a surreal moment because I, so, so initially I was going to be talking to real railing castle. I, I'd lined things up. I had, um, I was talking, I had made contact with RA. They knew about the doco. I was talking to the media rep at the time. And um, I was just waiting for, he just said, look, can we get to the AGM? Who's going to put the AGM out, and then you know oh, she, no. she's happy to chat, and <laughs> um, we'll be we'll be happy. And this was in January, February. I'm like, okay, cool. So I'd sort of planned to then. I was actually traveling overseas. I was going to come back, and we we're going to do like a second block of shooting in around April of 2020. Well, mate, I I didn't I didn't I, we didn't get through March before I had to get back on a plane. Everything's shutting down, and as you see, you know, I'm basically stuck in a house and. And then you're just watching from afar all everything unfold. And, you know, one minute she's sort of delivering a Zoom AGM um, to journos. And, and then the next minute you, you see all the, the captain's letter comes out. And then, the, and it's just like every day there was something and then she's gone. And I'm like, and then she's gone. All right. Well, that interview is not going to happen. Um, <laughs> so then I just waited, man. And, 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 and then staff changed. The media rep I was talking to had gone and he's kind of, did a handover to someone else. I'm talking to someone else. And then, so when the dust settled and um, you, you knew people in there and the you know, Hamish McLennan and, and even before, I don't know if Andy Marinos was there when I spoke with Hamish, but anyway, he was very new. I'd spoken to already people like Adam Fry and Adam Fry said, no, Hamish is a good bloke. He'll, he'll have a chat to you. And, you know, I just, I just put forward in the email, look, this is what I'm, what I'm about. This is what I want to, uh, discuss and he was obviously very up to it again it was just a scheduling thing once we could organize it um i would have loved to have been there uh unfortunately i was so it was like 3 a.m in london i was sitting in my living room on the other end of a zoom call when that happened so i i sort of missed the you know the 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 and that's sort of what for me i couldn't couldn't put in there was i wanted to have me walking into the building having a look around you know just sort of 
feeling like I've sort of walked into the belly of the beast. You'd made it, um, yeah. After and, after and, the whole it, conversation, whereas, yeah. It really, actually, what's happened is Matt's just sitting on his own in a in a cold <laughs> sort of London living room at three a.m. While um, you know, this great sort of setup is happening in in rugby Australia. But no, he was look. I, I think he was he was very very again very generous with his time. Um, very open, very honest. A lot of things that didn't make the cutting floor that were for me were interesting in terms of what his vision was and how to get things back on track. And yeah, you know, I was trying to put together um, all the findings. And I, and I know that Rugby Australia are aware of this stuff. I certainly know that they were aware of it all now. I think what you're now seeing is they're, they're acknowledging that, yes, these things are important, but we have a balance sheet to budget. Otherwise, there is no Rugby Australia. So how do we do that? Mm. And therein lies, I guess, you know, that'll be the, the interesting, you know, uh, times ahead is is what do they do uh, to sort of get back towards sort of what needs to happen from a high performance perspective, but also how can they appease all the the corporate needs? It it's I think it's the that's the eternal struggle, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it makes sense how to. I mean, obviously they do care about wanting to make the game better, and even if people talk. You know, people have a lot of criticisms, criticisms to level at Rugby Australia. It's no yeah. secret, but, you know, it, the core of it, I mean, obviously that you want people to actually be able to to achieve the job um, mm. and actually achieve it from a financial perspective and actually securing the actual financial future of the organisation. It makes sense. If you're in that position, you, you have to think about the financial stability of the code. Um and it's it was interesting. It was kind of an interesting takeaway I found on the on the subject of that because obviously you, this, the topic of cohesion and how many teams being added is so quickly came up in that video that you presented to Hamish, and then he kind of responded by saying, "Well, at the moment we still believe five teams um, is the way forward um, yeah. in terms of the future of the of of it." Even though you know cohesion was clearly suggesting otherwise, but from a business perspective, yeah, it, it does make sense if you're thinking about it yeah. as a business right now. Um, which just felt just felt like it loomed as the eternal struggle of you know the, of of that professionalism is kind of put in our lap uh, yeah. as a result o- off the back of that, and I feel like it's an impossible question to ask, um, mm. considering it would might if anything you might have feel even like it's even more complicated than we than it would have been when you started down this track. What does the future of Aussie of Aussie rugby look like? Mm. Yeah, he's a. The crystal ball one. Um, I guess there's. I watch rugby now. I watch just. I watch the Wallabies now, and I don't get as upset as I usually used to do, largely because I kind of now. I feel like answers have been, um, questions have been answered. Um, with that said, I feel like there's, there's what I think will happen, and there's what I hope will happen. Um, what I hope will happen is that we we sort out the the furniture a bit better and we we come up with some innovations largely around third tier maybe even club rugby schools rugby and fix that because i do believe that the formula is if the super rugby teams are good the wallabies therefore should be good because mm. you're either going to get the wallabies will be stacked with a really good super rugby team or two or three of them will be really firing and you know we'll just see a really good sort of spine of Waratahs or Brumbies or Reds or, dare I say it, Force or Rebels coming through, and that will propel the Wallabies forward. So, so really the, the thing is, how do you get Australia's super rugby teams firing again? And for me, that's where the focus should be. I think actually the Wallabies will sort itself out, you know, once you've got all that sorted. Mm. Um, that's my hope. Do they have enough money? Well, I don't know because I, you know, I haven't spoken to an accountant. I'm not, I'm not a great accountant <laughs> either, so I can't look at their balance sheet and tell you. But we do know that there's money ahead. There is money in in Dem Hills. It's it's there. Will it just go to shore up all the debt? I hope not. Will it actually be invested in something that's sort of? And that's all the talk. You know, Phil Kearns has, you know, appeared on some things recently and said that's what the plan is and. I imagine that's what they want to do. Um, so my, I would say that it's almost like you wait and see, but I'd say that the future could look bright, but mm. we can't, we just can't keep doing the same thing, expecting a, a, a different result. And I sort of almost feel like the Australian rugby fans are almost realizing that. And hence why people are going so 
well, I think quite been quite kind to Rennie despite the um his his win rate not being um you know very high. I think people are recognizing that it's not the coach's problem anymore. Yeah. It's there's something a bit wider. I was going to ask, you're, you're about to answer my next question, because obviously at the time of you starting this docker, Rennie had only ju- just kind of really started. Mm. He'd only had a year or two in charge. And and I've noticed that as well. There's a realisation that Rennie is a great coach. Like you can see that there's he's got great bones and ideas for a, a, a squad that can actually, you know, be a genuine contender to either win back the Bledisloe or win back the World Cup. But he can only deal with what's in front of him. Mm. Um and I think it's which I think which has been interesting. It's I just kind of thought to myself, I was contrasting it with the way that Robbie Deans was treated. Um mm. multiple super rugby winning coach, similar to Rennie, uh and he had a rough run uh of like to all hell um from the media during his tenure. Um, yeah. and then you contrast it with, with, uh, Rennie, who's got a record of, that's nearly half as good as his. And mm. you come to the realization of that, that, that it's, he's a, even, yes, he, he's an, a, a really brilliant coach, but he can only deal with, with the players that he's got. Yeah. And yeah. It, it really matters is what matters is, is that the system itself is letting the side down, um, yeah. more than anything else. The the silver linings for me, just I guess on looking at the future again, is amateur or community rugby, as I like to call it, because I think that, you know, everyone has their definition of grassroots. I think grassroots could be a lot of things, but community rugby is still there and it's still strong. And in many ways, the professional game could, could collapse tomorrow, but community rugby will still be there because yeah. people still want to be, they want to go to their local team, they want to play, they want to bring their kids, you know, up playing, they want to... You know, share experiences, the social experience of rugby, all that sort of stuff. That's still there. You know, talent. Yes, we still have it. We have nurseries around the country that are that are there. Um, you know, we have the finance to sort of. You know, many countries don't have any of these things. They don't have player places. They don't have corporate support. They don't have government support. They don't have um, strong teams around that they can play regularly. We have all of that. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like the future. The futures, the future can be bright because we have all the ingredients. Um, yes, we, you know, we 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 can't afford what they pay people in France and Japan. But again, as I sort of made the point, we, we've we've sort of been able to uh, ride out those challenges before. And you know, we we were losing all the best players would go to rugby league. That's been the story of time for Australian mm-hmm. rugby. So this not, and I, I sort of, I I know that yes, there has been ramped up, league has expanded, and so you see more school kids now. So maybe yeah, there is a an argument to say that there are more kids getting poached, but still the the idea that you know that that's not a new thing, and we kind of navigated that in the past. And I would also argue that for some for it's actually a competitive advantage in Australia having kids growing up playing league. And you know, I spoke with Stuart Lancaster um, recently mm. on my podcast, and he. Yeah, he grew up in, I think it's Leeds. He grew up near a league town, and he sort of kind of agreed with the notion that, you know, juniors coming up playing league and union really develop well because they develop the fitness and the hardness from league, but also that um, game playing ability at the line, mm. which you know I think you can see it in even even like a young guy like Tane Edmund coming through for the Waratahs this year. You know, he played league. Um, Man, he's 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 you know he's he's you got playmakers that I think are not afraid of taking the ball up and 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 I think so that's something that very few countries can do because they don't have a league mm. uh, system um, around it. So we sort of just got to look at well, what are all the things that we do have and how can we kind of piece them together and you know make something better and and you know I I do believe that we can we can we can be the you know we can win the world we can definitely win a World Cup but it is going to take. I think a lot of work in that middle ground, not the Wallabies, not the new coach or, you know, getting four, four of our best players back through the Gitto rule. That all helps. But man, the, the real machine starts down at um, the grunt level where, you know, we, we, we create that sort of that base so that when there are 20 injuries like we've got this season, yeah, the impact's not as felt because actually mm. we've got great young guys who are just waiting in the wings, who are coming through, who are playing com- 
a competitive level of rugby every year and they're and they're they're primed for for international footy yeah absolutely and i think this is a good place to to end our chat just cuz it goes to show it goes to highlight why i reckon this is going to be such an interesting decade for australian mm-hmm. rugby because you've and and on the subject of of we're talking of the balance of money and stuff developing when you've got the Lions tour coming in 2025 and the two World Cups mm. in 27 and 29 seems like a once in a generation opportunity to to actually lay some, lay the groundwork to fix all of these problems and uh and create a structure or a foundation that suddenly you'll start you'll you may look back and say we questioned the idea of five teams of of reducing the number of five teams who knows mm. um it's it is it's such an interesting topic and i and if and if i could i'd talk to you about it for 3 hours but i'll simply finish <laughs> off with one last question yeah. uh which is obviously I, I know the reaction has to this has been really interesting a lot of people have been talking about this doco a lot of people have been interested in this doco both in you know to to the local from all the folks at clubland um to mm. people in who operate in the professional fields. I know that you mentioned in the coda that a lot of the super rugby sides are starting to use a lot of Ben Darwin's work, which is excellent. Um, hopefully we'll see that. What's next for you? Is there, is there enough information and evidence there that we'll see another doco talking about <laughs> Australian rugby digging, uh, digging itself out of, out of the hole that it's in, or is it a case of first taking a, having a long rest and then coming back yeah. to it later? <laughs> No, no, I've, 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 I've written down on paper some other docos and ideas. I, I have to be honest. If I'm probably going to do another doco, I, I don't know if I'll do it on Australian rugby. I don't know if I'll do it on rugby, just because um, you can see when you go to try sell these things, what's in demand and what's not. And um, you know, look, people have have responded very well, and and we are, you know, we're out in Australia, we're out in South Africa, um, we we should be out in New Zealand and and the UK pretty soon. I'm I'm waiting on confirmation for that. So like the film will travel, which is great, but um, you know, obviously you have to look at sometimes these things of you know what what what's the market out there for this sort of product. And um, I definitely love sports documentaries. You know, I find sports is just you know it's it's we're we're so obsessed with in Australia, um, but I think it is always a good way to use sports to get into something that is, is universal about, yeah. about, you know, us as, as humans or, you know, the way corporates work or the way, you know, you know, sort of whatever it is, like you can kind of use it as a bit of an anthropological study about, about us. And I think that's what the best sports docos do. So no, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm talking to a few people. I don't know kind of when we're, how we're going to, you know, I might just have to do what I did last time, which is just call up a mate. We'll set up a time, bring a camera, and just start rolling. Because otherwise, you, you talk for years and years about projects that never then see the light of the day. <laughs> I'm into that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mate, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, and also to everyone listening. Um, go take the time to to go check out this documentary if you're interested in Australian rugby. This is gonna is critical, mandatory viewing. Uh, in my opinion. Um, also, I know I've, I've also submitted a sneaky question for your Q and A as well. Um, podcast as well, just to, and I'm going to be watching with a lot of interest, mate, as, uh, as not only just as rugby goes through its journey and transition, um, that it's going through now, but just seeing how much this documentary actually has an impact in terms of all of that. Um, and seeing the work that you've done here, you should be really proud of this document, mate. It's a great documentary. I really appreciate it, mate. Thanks for that, and thanks for having me on. And and I, all I'll just I'll add is that, you know, I I spent the the research period of this, um, devouring every podcast, every written piece, every video that had been put out there, and 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 a you know majority of it was from people like you and and the, and the rest of the rugby community, who are all volunteers, we're all doing it for the love of it, and that's probably another great thing is that you know. Australian rugby's community is is there, you know, the, the green and gold community, you know, you, you read the, the, the posts, you jump on rugby raw, you read the comments, man, it's, 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 it's very insightful. Some of it's funny, some of it's outrageous, but it shows <laughs> you that rugby's, it shows you that rugby's still alive and it's still got a heartbeat and it's still got a, a hardcore group of people that aren't going to let it go away. Yeah. And um, that's sort of, you know, that's kind of in the many ways who I thought 
it would connect with. That's who I made it for, people like me. And and I'm just hoping that you know we we can sort of start to sort of see rosier, rosier a rosier future, so that all these people that have been grinding away for years and years on podcasts and you know uh, columns and stuff will we'll then you know could start writing and talking about um, some good times again. Amen. And I know for a fact that that Matt. Rugby Reg and Hugh have promised that they'll get the the Green and Gold Rugby Show back together if we win the Bledisloe. So fingers yes. crossed, uh, <laughs> we can have the day that I'm in, back in the producer's chair for one of those shows again, yeah. celebrating a celebrating a win, a Bledisloe yeah, win. That, fantastic! Yeah, no, that'll be a great day. That that'll be a great uh, that'll that'll be. I reckon your record listeners you know, <laughs> will come in for that for that one. Yeah, amen to that. Um. Thank you so much for your time, mate. It's uh, been an absolute pleasure uh, having having you on. Hopefully, we'll we'll have you back here in Australia soon. Um, you may yeah. put on the the sky blue jersey for colleagues, and I might see you on a rugby field. Um, yeah, yeah, I will. <laughs> I, my mate played the other day and dislocated his ankle. He's he's a bit older than me, so we are starting to kind of the, the pieces are starting to fall off a bit. But um, <laughs> I, I, haven't, I haven't quite hung up the boots just yet. So yeah, that that I'd, I'd love to get back and have a run for the Blue Giants. For the Blue Giants. Well, uh, it was funny we because playing for Dremoyne, we, we went down to you guys right at the end, like at home, and then we also got smashed with you in the end of the season. It was a long season for us, but I had a funny moment where watching the doco and also then playing, I actually recognized a mate of mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, shit, hello, Campbell. How you doing, mate? <laughs> we went, yeah. used to go to school with you. But yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much, mate. Appreciate it very much, Lee. And uh, to all of our listeners, if you haven't, checked it out already go check out gold digger the search for australian rugby it's on binge uh, right now I'll, I'll put a link to it in the in the description um and we'll catch you the next time around well, what did go wrong i'll have to look look and think about it think about it deeply very deeply did it hinge in the end on a bit of genius from Shirley bombo bit of genius bit of magic Shirley bombo very interesting very good yeah very good three cheers for Shirley bombo very good very good